Pastor Steve here. Welcome to Grace Valley Church. <clears throat> Listen, when it comes to doubts uh, about God's faithfulness in our lives, we all have them. I have had so many times in my life where I've experienced God's blessing and answers to prayer and these big movements of God and these great leadings. Uh, and then I follow through and there's incredible fruit and effectiveness. Uh, and it seems like it's just, there's a there's long seasons of that, right? There's these periods. And then other times it just feels like <clears throat> I get, it just feels like I'm just, just sustaining, sustaining the walk, sustaining ministry, sustaining, um, you know, even, even personal aspects. And I'm wondering, you know, where are the blessings that I used to have? Uh, and there, there are times in all of our lives, maybe you can relate when we feel God isn't showing up like he used to. Um, and I say like he used to, because maybe like me, maybe you've had, you've got memories, you have stories, you have feelings. And they remind you that God, God cares. God can come through. He comes through in big ways, but, but maybe it's not that way anymore. And we, we can't even add up the months, maybe longer that, that make us say, you know, hello, God, where are you? And, you know, maybe we do experience these small events that hint that God is there and he's kind of moving, but they feel small. We even may question those that they maybe not come from God. They just come from life. Um, it's just coincidence, but they're certainly not life altering, right? Or these big faith building events like they used to be. And that's our subject today. When God doesn't seem as faithful as he used to be, and maybe you've had periods of, of, you know, a long period, maybe of just an unwanted singleness. And you think, where's God in this? Uh, or it could be a long period of financial struggle, or maybe a long period of relational struggle, struggle and anger and hurt and disappointment. And, and, you know, because of that, you have this unforgiveness in your heart and maybe a little bit of bitterness. And you're asking, where is God and what's going on with God? Uh, maybe it's worse. Maybe it affects your faith. Maybe, maybe you've pulled away a bit. Um, maybe you just have to fight to kind of not express how you really feel uh, at times. And I don't purport to know what's going on. And we are just going to look at this passage in Romans, or sorry, in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's certainly not exhaustive with this whole um, subject or premise matter when God doesn't seem as faithful as he used to be. Uh, but this is what the writer wrote to a particular group of people under, of course, under the inspiration, we believe as Christians of the Holy Spirit with, of course, knowledge that the writer had of what was going on in that particular gathering of people. And so with that knowledge in mind, he's going to address it. He's, we believe that, that the Holy Spirit, um, leads and therefore he writes exactly what they need to hear and consider at that time, which also is relevant for us today. Um, so I have three thoughts for you to consider because we're to grow in both the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to continue to grow in, in our knowledge of God. So that, so when God doesn't seem as faithful as he used to be, three thoughts to consider based upon this passage. The first is this, and it could apply to you or not. Maybe God is showing you your passivity. Maybe he's trying to get you to see that you've been spiritually passive for too long. 
Here's what he says to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He wouldn't have written that if he felt like either some people weren't running with perseverance or they were thinking of not persevering. So he wants them to run with perseverance. He wants to look like they're running their own personal race that God has given them. God has given us all a personal race, not just a life race. It includes that, of course. Sure, it includes family and and, and career and everything else. But, of course, the thrust of the Bible for the Christian is you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's what we're laboring for. I think it was um, uh, Chen. um, I can't remember his first name now. but he said, you know, are you living for the dot or the line? The dot is just temporary here. The line is the line of eternity. And that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm living for the line of a million trillion years with Jesus. I am laboring. Revelations chapter uh, 12, verse 4, I believe, says, The former things have passed. Behold, you know, all things are being made new. These are, you're living currently and I'm living currently in former things. These are former things. They're little things. They're things, they're, they're slight. You know, the writer of the Hebrews in this Hebrews, you know, he says that our citizenship is in heaven. We're, we're really, what he's saying to us here is you live like the patriarchs of old. We are, we are pilgrims. We are wanderers. We are, we are loosely attached to the things of the earth. We're not we're not trying to build our own personal kingdom here. That is not the focus. The focus is the kingdom of God. And maybe you've been spiritually passive. You're not running the personal race that God has set out for you spiritually. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, hard time, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God, considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in the race of life. And then in verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What's he, what's he saying here in essence? He is challenging any type of kingdom passiveness that maybe they become feeble and weak in the things of God. And I don't, I don't know that. I only know if you've known that. And I'm not saying now because you feel like God's checked out. I'm saying before that, you and I have to consider, were we really focused on the things of God? Were we excited to see what God wanted to do through us? Um, and I'm not saying it doesn't, you know, we're going to church, but you're not really living for the kingdom, right? You're not, you're not serving. You're not serving people. You're not thinking kingdom initiative. You're not looking presently in the everyday to see what does God want to accomplish through me in his kingdom. So maybe God's trying to get your attention and say, address your spiritual passivity. Um, and that's, think about it. Here's, here's a way forward, wherever you, if you're finding yourself now in this, in this, um, in these periods where it's unwanted, whatever it is. Um, Say to yourself, get excited. Hey, despite me not sensing or feeling any more of God's blessings or answers to prayer or really big movements, or at least the thing I'm really waiting for and wanting for, 
set that aside and just go, at this time in my life, what might God want to do through me? Yes, I have an extended unwanted period of singleness, but what might God, just putting that aside, what would God maybe want to do in and through my life in the kingdom of God? And get excited about that. Get excited about just running that race as hard as you can. Everything else aside, don't worry about, oh, my, my prayers aren't, you know, and I don't want to be snarky here, but it's, oh, my prayers, prayers aren't being answered, you know, by, you know, is God just there to fulfill all your, you get to live the way you want and God better come through on his blessings and answers to prayer and, and the things you really are hoping for. And, you know, I'm going to say, you know, grow up. I'm not saying that God doesn't provide all those things. What I'm saying is that's what we're living for. I mean, this is kind of a, Sometimes God wants to get our attention is, why don't you just get excited about what the kingdom could hold for you rather than these other things? And and even what he wants to do in your life today, in the life of a neighbor who you never really engage or try to engage even on a relational thing of just, just beginning a friendship, right? Don't even worry about this friendship evangelism, just, just friendship and see where that might lead for the kingdom of God. So even though, you know, I'm not saying you don't have some questions about God right now, but here's, that's what I want you to consider. What might he want to do in my life? Because I'm going to start really focusing on the kingdom. Maybe that's you. I'm not going to be, pat. at least I'm not going to be, pat. This, this time where I'm struggling and I have questions and I have doubts and I have tears and I have anger. What might God want to do in my life, through my life, for the kingdom, in the lives of others? That should excite you. Okay, consider that. Are you really running with great endurance the spiritual race in front of you? Do it. Second thing to consider this. Maybe God's training you out of some sinful compromises in your life. Maybe things are dry. Maybe things don't seem like they used to be. This vibrancy, this excitedness, these great movements of God because God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to say, Sin really matters to me. I'm not just some grandfather who kind of hears about the foibles of their grandkids and kind of winks and says, you know, live and let live. That doesn't matter. God doesn't. So maybe there's some holiness issues and God wants to get your attention. He wants to get you out of there. What's compromise again? Compromise is simply a direct violation of God's revealed will as shown us in the Bible. Um, And so God here in Hebrews 12, verse 4. He's going to discipline us. That's just this simple word for training. That's all it means. It means training. It doesn't mean punishment. It means I'm going to train. It was a word used for Greek athletes. It's like a runner who undergoes training. And some of the training is very difficult. My son runs cross country and he comes home sometimes after a 10 mile and he's, it's brutal in the heat and he has to run it anyways. Or they do speed work and it is, it is, you know, one day's harder than the next, and that is training, and it's hard, and it's painful, and it doesn't. There's no, there's no medal at the end. It's only when there, when there's actually an event. So that's the word, right? Is that you're you're being trained, and it may seem painful because God puts what let's use for lifting. He puts more weight on the bar just when you think you can't. He God's going to put more weight on the bar in your struggle. So here's what it says. In your struggle against sin. So here we have these Hebrew gathering and they're all, they're struggling with their faith because they're told even in Hebrews 10, 
you know, keep persevering in your walk because they're under persecution. They they are wondering about, the, he was writing to them about their faith and how Jesus is the superior sacrifice and the superior high priest. He's, he, they're questioning, obviously. And here now he's going to, he's addressing these things. So he's addressing sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, we just say, I love that, right? He doesn't coddle them. <laughs> oh, you're undergoing, where's God and all this? You know, why are we suffering so much? And they're struggling about their faith. And he does answer that. But then he goes, quit sinning too. It's like, grow up, quit the compromise in your life. You know, it's like, boo, hoo, hoo. Now he's not saying that, right? But he comes to say, boo, hoo, hoo. This stuff matters to God. And God does want to get on with your life. And he does want to do great things in your life. And he will do great things in your life. I'm saying that just from the Christian worldview. But gosh darn, God wants to see and address these things because he loves you and he wants to train you out of them. And that's why he says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? I'll go back to the text that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord loves everyone. He, the Lord disciplines everyone he loves. It proves you're his kid. He moves towards you. He doesn't move away from you. He's not, a, he's not an unloving father that just figures, ah, I don't care. They can do what they want. That's an unloving father. It's like, my son's not doing, I'm moving towards as best I can to, to, to train them, discipline them out of it. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So it's proof that you're his son, you're his child. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for how much more should we would submit to the father of our spirits and how much how much more perfect is our father when he goes about training us and getting us to leave sinful bad ultimately harming and damning behavior they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best in all their imperfection and all our dads were massively imperfect but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. It's like, straighten up, get up. You can move forward. Make level paths so that the lame may not dis be disabled, but healed. I love what the New Century Version says. It says, you're acting weak, so make yourself strong again. Okay, that's the thought behind it. You're acting weak, make yourself strong. That was the point of the whole passivity. What might God want to do through me? And here it's like, okay, I want to be done with compromise. Maybe God's trying to get my attention. Maybe he's trying to grow me out of this. He's trying to train me out of this. And there's two examples he uses here for sin, Okay. Or for holiness. Two examples here. There, there's pro, there's more of compromises. Here's the ones that he addresses. Obviously, he's heard of this. It's sexual holiness that God's after in their lives and relational holiness. These are the these are the two. Hebrews 12, 6. Here's for sexual holiness. See that no one is sexually more immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance right as the oldest son. Which means you know, Esau was, it just, it was just gratification. It was like not considering because he just in the moment felt like that was the, the right thing to do or the, 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 the safe thing to do or the best thing to do. Not, not thinking about ramifications later. You can, and, and sexual sin is the same way. 
No one should be sexually immoral. Why? Because purity matters. Because purity is God's ultimately ultimate path to to um, to intimacy, both sexually sexual intimacy with someone when you're married one day, and then intimacy with God. Purity is God's pathway to intimacy. You violate this. You harm yourself. So sexual holiness. Maybe you've been in a long period of unwanted singleness, but sexuality, you know, that doesn't matter to you. And God's saying it matters. It is a big deal. It matters to me. It should matter to you because I don't say anything that I say don't hurt yourself, so don't do it. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. It is, you know, I don't care how many Bible studies you're going to and everything else. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it is sexually immoral. That's what the Bible says. It is it is compromise, okay? It is unholiness, or as he says here, it is ungodly. You're, 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 beca- you're an ungodly person if you're doing it, okay? Maybe that doesn't apply to you. Maybe it does. That's what he's trying to get their attention. They were doing it. Some of them were doing it at least. So he was saying, don't, you know, and this was, of course, a real problem with early Christians, right? Because their culture was like, sex doesn't matter. It's just physical. It's just an expression. It's no big deal. It was never a big deal to their gods. Therefore, when they became Christians, they thought it can't be a big deal to our God. And God's like, it's a big deal to me. So maybe you've bought in. To the culture, it's not a big deal. To the Christian, it is a big deal because it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal for himself. You're compromising his holiness. It's a big deal for you, okay? Secondly, it's an example of relational holiness. 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, okay? Those thoughts are tied together. And what is he talking about? He's talking about relational holiness. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. What is that again? That's oneness. That's harmony, right? That's unity. That's what it means. That's what peace means. Therefore, you're being holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And many people, most people who have patterns of severed relationships and unforgiveness, they have just patterns of constant. So something's going on. The way they're relating, whether it's their rights or just their patterns of relating that they think are absolutely natural and part of their personality, but it's actually probably very somewhat perhaps damaging and harmful. God has shown me that in my own life. Certain patterns of relating aren't right and they damage relationships long term. So maybe, and it is unholiness. It is ungodliness, okay? So if, if, if there are patterns of severed relationships or unforgiveness in your life, you need to do something about it. And it's not a separate thing here. And it could it could it could also just be gossip and talking about people. We talked about that in Easter and God gives us the power to break it. But it's 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 ungodly behavior. And God says it's not living at peace. It's not living in harmony and unity and oneness with others, whether they're around or not. Okay. So sometimes consider. That God's trying to get your attention about the compromise in your life, maybe in these two areas, maybe you know of another one. And so God's saying, you know, for me to just continue to kind of bless and act like nothing's wrong when things are wrong, that's just not what a heavenly father who loves you does. So consider it. Lastly, <clears throat> 
Um, maybe God is training you in new levels of grace. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it. I love this. I love what God might be trying to do in our lives. This, this really, this, this is a great reminder for me. Hebrews 12, 15. See, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And because of that, no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So what is grace again? Grace is simply God giving you what you need um, because of his unmerited love and acceptance of you. So he it's he has his unmerited love and acceptance of you. And so he graces God is always giving you what you need. He's always giving you what you need in your life because of Jesus Christ and you're leaning into him as a Christian not based on anything you did. He loves you. Now he accepts you fully in Jesus Christ and he'll always give you what you need. And you live by that. You're saved by that. He gives you what you need. What does he give you? He gives you regeneration. He gives you a different heart. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you a holiness. There's a positional holiness that's not your own, right? He gives, which we call God's righteousness, you know, given to us. And then as a Christian, he is all kinds of other things he gives you. He gives you his Holy Spirit and he gives you all the things you need just to get through life. Um, but maybe, of course, for you, you know, and I understand what we're saying here. That's see to that no one falls short of that grace of God. Of, of, what does he mean by that? Fall short of the grace? Well, understanding it, accepting it, living in it, depending on it. Christians depend on the grace of God always. And we need to grow in just depending on God's grace alone, apart from anything else, that God loves me. He has unmerited favor and kindness towards me, and I lean into his grace. I don't lean into my own performance. I don't lean on into other things to prop me up in life for my significance and my security. I live only by the grace of God. God's love for me, God's love for me, God's love for me, God's acceptance for me, God's acceptance for me. And God will always give me what I need. Now, I understand. It certainly doesn't feel like grace right now. Because we always think of grace, right? We tend to think of grace as these big acts of, Big, huge acts of love and kindness and provisions and answers to prayer and blessings. Okay, like in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all you need at all times, you will abound in every good work. And I love that passage. And like, give me abounding grace. Or someone said super, you know, super abounding grace. And that's tends to, it tends to be what we think about grace. But again, God's, God's grace is just simply always giving you what you need because of his absolute acceptance of you at all times based upon Jesus Christ, never fades, right? And his love for you, his love and his acceptance of you. So maybe God is training you. Maybe, maybe at this point, right? When you feel like God doesn't showing up like he used to show up. Maybe God's just training you to love and depend on him when those big things aren't happening. And therefore, it's simply what we call a sustaining grace. It's still grace. God accepts you because of Christ. And he's always still going to give you what you need. But it's just, you know, it's just, it's sufficient. Some people call it sufficient. My, what did you say to Paul? Three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn in my flesh. It was so painful. We don't even know what that was, right? Could have been physical ailment. Could have been a, a personal enemy, a person who was making his life miserable. Three times I am. I am, you know, I pleaded with the Lord to, to remove it from me. And each time he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So what was he saying? It's just sufficient. It's not super abounding. 
it's not a pathway full of blessings. It's not, you know, everything's up and to the right. Like I want my portfolio to go. It's just God sustaining me at least. And he wants, and God wants you to grow in depending on his sufficient grace without the blessings. Job was an example, right? When Job was told to curse God by his wife, what did he say? Should we only expect good from God and not bad? And God never abandoned Job, did he? I'm sure Job felt that way, but we know through the story, God was sustaining Job all through it, right? Just enough for Job. So painful. What a long string. And at the end, God showed up in big ways and began to bless him again. Okay. So you need to, you know, maybe God's just trying to get you to depend on God's grace more and more and not just his blessings. And the longer you walk the Christian life, God's trying to get you away from following him, loving him, worshiping him, working for him, maintaining your purity for him, apart from I'll just get God's blessings. He wants to do it for you just because of who he is and what he's done for you, right? So don't confuse blessing your lives for grace, God's constant acceptance of you. Trust that God's going to, he wants us to get to the point where we're always going to trust that he'll give us what we need, even though we don't feel we're getting what we, what we feel we need at the time. So depend on it more and more. And then, of course, the writer of the Hebrews says, be careful, because if you don't lean on that sufficient grace, if you don't go to the grace of God, you'll get bitter. If you don't, if you don't say, God, I am trusting you that through the pain and the hurt, maybe it's several relationships, whatever it is, that your grace is going to be sufficient, right? For me to, to give me what I need to go and mend it, to give me what I need to kind of maybe turn a spotlight on my own life and see what's wrong that I'm, I constantly have these broken relationships. Trust God that he's going to give you the sustaining grace. Or I tell you, like he said, a root of bitterness will come into your life and, he warns the root of bitterness doesn't just defile you. The root of bitterness defiles everyone else around you, especially those close to you. You don't see it. I see this as a pastor all the time. It affects kids, spouses, everything. So that's the warning there. Here's the ultimate sustaining grace, and we'll end with this, okay? The ultimate sustaining grace. The ultimate grace, the beginning of grace, of course, it's found in what Jesus did. Its origin is Jesus his suffering is dying for us to bring us to God. And the thought is, of course, God did nothing else for us as unworthy sinners. We owe him everything. God did nothing else from this point on. And that's hard. And God will always do, you know, we could rest in peace knowing I'm okay with God. And there is a million trillion years with Jesus. So Christ on the cross sustains us because that's proof God accepts us. And he has not abandoned us. And he is with us. And he is working, even though at this point in our lives, this point in your life, you may feel he's not. So grow in grace. God's as faithful as he ever was. He hasn't disappeared. He's moving on your behalf. So see what God might want to do. Here's the action point. See what God might want to do through you in the kingdom of God. That's exciting. Start living a sexually and relationally holy life. Okay, repent of it. Turn, change your mind about it. And then grow in and rejoice in God's grace for you. Until next week, thanks for being with us.